This is the Podium Finish Live on WSBU-FM, the Buzz 88.3. From Austin, Texas, and various points across the country, here's your host, Rob Johnson. And a good, good day to everybody who's tuning in to the Podium Finish Live here on WSBU-FM, the Buzz 88.3. And on major streaming platforms, I am your host, Rob T. Yonkson, a motorsports journalist based out of Austin, Texas, who's been covering the NASCAR beat since 2008. I'm so glad that you could join us for another action-packed hour of racing talk here on the Podium Finish Live. For those of you who are listening to the radio show version of our program, you're going to hear a variety of music, which I'm looking forward to showcasing on this program. And if you're listening to the podcast edition, you'll get a quite extensive version of our interviews and our thoughts, kind of like the Dale Jr. download, but with me and my esteemed co-host, who I'll be introducing here momentarily. Now, for our audiences listening at home or on campus, just know that this show is recorded in advance of this weekend's races at Martinsville. So we're going to try to keep the focus on the Phoenix race weekend, which is next weekend, about our uh, for our NASCAR discussions. But for now, I do want to say we've got a pair of excellent guests who will be joining us here on the Podium Finish Live, and I'm sure you'll be delighted to hear from them, and I can't wait to talk about those when we get to their segments here on the program. But like I said, I have my trusty wingman and esteemed co-host who is definitely the up-and-rising journalist here at St. Bonaventure, and his name is Nathan Solomon. So Nathan, thanks again for joining me here for the Pony Finish Live. How have you been doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's always good to be on here. I've been, uh, I've enjoyed uh, getting, you know, helping prepare this show, helping prepare this podcast here over the last few weeks. So it's been, it's been great to see this all come to fruition, to see episode one go live on Monday. It's been a lot of fun and, and I'm very glad for, uh, to be recording this, uh, the second episode. And I think uh, everybody listening is really going to enjoy these two guests on today. I think so for sure. And, uh, it's really great because, like I said last week, um, when you know we introduced ourselves and rebooted the program, we've got a contrast on this show because I'm kind of more of the older voice of the sport, where you, Nathan, can definitely represent the younger generation of journalists and fans and the drivers in the garage area that make NASCAR and other motorsports series so incredible to watch every weekend. So it's going to be a cool contrast to have our different perspectives and certainly as we roll along with this program, I'm sure we're gonna to start to see that, uh, especially as we head into the great year of change, AKA 2022. So again, I do wanna remind folks of the format of our show. So each week we're gonna have two distinct segments. One of them is called Podium Perspectives, which is where Nathan and I and some guest hosts or guests who may join us, will talk about the recent happenings in NASCAR, IndyCar, or F1, or all three, because during the racing year, all three can be happening at the same time, and there's a lot to get to, so we try to compress all of that into a focused discussion, panelist style. And of course, just like on PodiumFinish.net, we have a segment called In the Hot Seat, so it's a really fun interview segment in which we're going to feature personalities and drivers from NASCAR and IndyCar, and eventually, and hopefully, Formula One. And then we also have a perspective of what's going to happen in future races called Podium Preview, in which we look ahead to uh, NASCAR races that are going to happen in advance of these shows, as well as what's going to happen down the road. Now, with the season kind of winding down, we only have one race to really focus on, which is Phoenix. So there'll be plenty of time for that to be discussed this week and next week for sure. Again, the, the show will be a little bit different when you listen to it on the Buzz 88.3 FM and on, on the website, but on the podcast edition, you'll get a more expansive conversation for sure. And all right, folks, now that you've heard how this podcast is like, let's head into segment one, Podium Perspectives. <laughs> wins this year we're not even done yet folks there's a possibility that by the time you listen to the show or podcast he may have 10 wins which would if that were to happen would be simply amazing 
So Nathan, first, I do want to get your thoughts about Kyle Larson's dominance in terms of, you know, does the number five team have any weaknesses considering that they've won three races in a row yet again, just like they did in June? And is there any stopping to this team? You know, you know, that's a really interesting question. I think that there, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a weakness, but I think that there's a little bit more concern about the, uh, Hendrick Motorsports and Larson's uh, 750 horsepower package. Uh, most of his wins this season have come on the 550 package. And, you know, that's what his last two wins have been on, uh, which were uh, Kansas and Texas. So when he won three races in a row earlier this season in the All-Star race, you know, those are, those are came off of 550 horsepower packages. And he's led well over a thousand laps on those, on those mile and a half and, uh, and other intermediate tracks. So I think that there's a little bit more concern about his performance on the 750 horsepower tracks with how good he's been this season. He's shown that he can win anywhere. I know he has three road course wins. Short tracks aren't always his best tracks in stock cars, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he won't do really well at Phoenix. I think, you know, if I remember right, he, he was pretty good at Phoenix in the spring. So I, I expect that he'll be pretty good at Phoenix here in the fall. I, sounds like he has the same car that he ran at Phoenix this spring going out west again this year. But I think that if, if you're the number five team, you think a little bit more about, about the 750s with how good you've been on the 550s this year. No, I totally agree with you. And that's one point of contention that we can all discuss about with Kyle Larson's great year. I mean, just looking at his nine wins, you know, Las Vegas, 550. Uh, Charlotte 550. Sonoma was a 750, but of course a road course. And then we go to Nashville. I'm pretty sure that was a 550. Correct I me if I'm wrong. It may have been a 750 because if I remember right, don't don't quote me on this. I, I'll, I'll see if we can try to confirm this for for everybody. It, it you know it's it's about the same size as Darlington, and they ran the 750 at Darlington. That's so true. Then I think they I have it up here somewhere. Let's see, but go on. Yeah, so, I mean, just looking at his wins, I mean, the road courses, we all know how beast mode he is on those circuits. But then, like you said, he's not really the best at short tracks in a cup car. I mean, he did make a, finally broke his way through in Bristol Victory Lane um, during race 29, which punched his ticket into the round of eight. And then we got to see how well he did um, in the round of eight with that Charlotte Roval win. He could have easily won Las Vegas again, too. I mean, if it wasn't just for that blunderous pit call that, you know, allowed the Joe Gibbs cars to get ahead of them. And then he went a lap down and had to use the lucky dog. But then he's gone on this three race winning streak yet again, which is crazy. But like you said, it, these are mostly on 550 uh, horsepower tracks. So, I mean, you know, I do recall at Martinsville, he finished fifth. And then at um, the Phoenix race, he had to start to the rear of the field. And he must have driven his way to the front like three different times. It's just crazy. I mean, if he had the track position, we might be talking about win number 10 already. Absolutely. And it's certainly not that he's bad on 750s because, you know, Nashville was a 750 to, to confirm that. But you, know, you look at some of the tracks that he's won on, Charlotte, uh, you know, in, or in earlier seasons of his career, Auto Club, Michigan, that's where, you know, the two-mile tracks, that's where he made his money earlier in, in, in his career. Then, of course, Kansas. Vegas, Texas, um, could have easily won at Pocono if his, uh, if his tired blue, you know, another one corner later. So yeah, I mean, that's where he's been, been the best. We're out of five fifties right now, but he doesn't have anything to worry about on Sunday at Martinsville. Of course, you know, when everybody's hearing this, Martinsville's already happened, but if, if you're Larson, I think you think a little bit more about the seven fifties, because when you, when you look at the Ford camp, they, the Fords have been better at the seven fifties. So even though somebody like, you know, Logano, Blaney, Keselowski would come in below the cut line if, if, if they find a way to advance at Martinsville, which, of course, you know, people listening, you already know who's in the Final Four. That gives them a little bit more of an advantage from Phoenix. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brad seemed pretty confident, but kind of quietly confident in his uh, mid-race, uh, mid-week Zoom call with the press. I mean, it, I wouldn't say he was resigned to his fate, but more like kind of casual about it, which if, in my opinion, having watched him over the years, kind of makes him a pretty deadly target uh, when it comes to trying to make it into the championship four. And he's done this before where he's kind of been like the silent possum 
or prey in, in, in this forest. And he's found a way to kind of come back and get his way into the championship four. I mean, he may, he's a, he hasn't won in this type of format since he won the championship in 2012. But certainly I think the forts cannot be dismissed when it comes to Martinsville. And I'm pretty sure when we get the show in the air on Monday, he might be talking about a Ford win for episode three. But another person we should be considering as well as William Byron. I mean, Kyle Petty of NBC Sports has been gushing about him, but I think it's just, I mean, Rick Hendrick has been patient with his development and, you know, he had that growing pain season in 2018, but then being paired up with Chad Kanaus in 2019 and 20, I think it really helped um, William learn more what, about what it takes to succeed in cup. And then of course he gets reunited with his truck crew chief, Rudy Fugel. And gosh, if it wasn't for bad luck during the playoffs, he could be another driver right now we're talking about in the round of eight. But, you know, as it is, I mean, he has been contending in the playoffs, knocking on the door. In fact, Kyle Larson has been saying for the past two weeks that if he wasn't ahead of the 24 car, he would be looking at finishing second to William at Texas and recently at Kansas. So, Ethan, I'm kind of curious, will we see the best of the number 24 team as we close out the playoffs? You know, <clears throat> excuse me, it's possible. Um, you know, again, it's kind of the same thing that we were talking about earlier with Larson in terms of the 750 and the 550. Hendrick cars have just been better on the 550s. But, you know, talking about some of the more consistent cars this year, you know, you think Denny Hamlin as the most consistent car. I mean, I think you have to throw William Byron up there in that conversation. I mean, after two really poor performances at, at, at Daytona and the Daytona road course, you know, he responded with a victory at, at Homestead. And then that started off a streak of 11 consecutive top tens for him. And then a little more inconsistent summer, but he's kind of started to find a little bit more of that consistency again. And he's running up front week in and week out. And he, he's starting to become a bigger threat every season, I guess, if you will. I mean, next year, I think that he'll likely have multiple wins. Would not surprise me if he's in the round of eight and contending to go to the championship four. But when he made his Cup Series debut, he was just young. Like you said, he needed time. And that time and experience and, and practice, if you will, has been paying off for him. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the Buffalo Bills having to be very patient with uh, Josh Allen because when he got into the league, he kind of had to compete with Tom Brady when he was with the Patriots. But then even when Brady was in his last season with the uh, the Patriots, Josh Allen was starting to come into his own as a really mature quarterback. So just trying to co coalesce the football world that I know Bonnie Nation is all about with Bill's Nation or Bill's Mafia, if you will. Um, That's so, not just I mean, Bonnie. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, y'all know just how much it took to be patient with Josh Allen. And now you're reaping the fruits of his labor. I mean, he's one of the elite quarterbacks one of the best in the league. And I'm saying that as a Patriots fan, people, I am not saying that lightly being a Bostonian, I'm pretty harsh when it comes to sports. So me giving praise to Buffalo or a non-Boston sports team means I'm serious. But as far as William Byron's concerned, I mean, it's incredible to watch how, to me, it looked like he had it super easy when he was in the Arca East series or back then known as the K&N uh, Pro Series East um and then he gets to the truck series and if it wasn't for that blown motor at phoenix he probably wasn't going to be that year's champion then in the xfinity series pretty much shows us what he can do with jrm and then to the cup series 2018 was super painful but i mean he's he was super young needed the time to flourish get used to these cars because i think jeff burton made a good point on motor mounts when he said you know you're not going to really learn a lot in the xfinity series if you're going to go up to cup because those two cars are very different now. I mean, the Cup Series has these different packages, whereas uh, with the Xfinity Series, Sands, Daytona, and Talladega, I mean, it's pretty consistent across the board. High horsepower, low downforce package, which um, that could be a whole podium perspective uh, segment for another show where me and Nathan could go back and forth about which is the better package. <laughs> but I mean... He's such a great young driver, and I think we have yet to see the best of him. I think you're right on about where he'll be performing next year. But my biggest concern with the next-gen car is, will Hendrick Motorsports be as consistent as they've been this year heading into next? Because 
we saw how they struggled after the 2017 season when the Camara body was introduced in 2018. It took them really quite a few months, the whole season, I would say a year and a half before they started to you know, hit their stride again. So I'm very curious to see how that will play out for Byron, Fugel, and the entire 2014. But as they've been contending for race wins in the playoffs, of course, not, you know, knowing that he's not a playoff driver, we've been talking about this a lot on the podium finish on our podium previews and our internal chats. But one of the biggest things that's been going on has been protocol in terms of the playoff drivers and the non-playoff drivers racing each other. You know, over the years, Nathan probably can chime in on this in a, in a few. I mean, the playoff drivers have been pretty much respected when it comes to these events. You know, when they are trying to lap, you know, a non-playoff driver or if they're battling for position on the lead lap or even for a win, you'll often see the non-playoff drivers cutting the uh, playoff driver slack. But not this year in 2021's playoff uh, series. I mean, it's been pretty, pretty heated. Um you know, for non-NASCAR listeners that are tuning in for the first time, it's it's nothing you can compare. I mean, in baseball, maybe towards the end of the year, when teams have clinched their way to the playoffs, yeah, you ha- you'll have some of those um, bottom-dwelling teams that are going to spoil the you know the party for the you know the record for the the teams that are going to the postseason. But really, that's all I can throw out there. So, Nathan, I'm kind of curious in terms of the protocol that we've seen or lack of protocol. Are you okay with the likes of Tyler Reddick, William Byron, Matt Benedetto mixing it up, battling these playoff drivers as intensely as they have? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it might be, I guess, a little bit of a, of a hot take, if you will, but I think that, that, that that's been a discussed a lot on, on TV, of course, but on air by NBC and everything. And I kind of believe that that's, that that's just kind of a narrative that they're trying to push that, oh, you know, maybe it's not okay for, for, for drivers to rate for non-playoff drivers to race playoff drivers, but it absolutely is okay. I mean, you look at somebody like the Benedetto. I mean, he's he's racing for his career out there. I mean, he doesn't have anything lined up for next season. And a win would go so far in terms of getting him a ride for next year. I mean, if you know, there's a chance he might not be in the sport anymore. So it one win would be career changing for him. And you know, you look at somebody like Brian Priest as well, you know, if he's ever in that situation, I mean, where you know, a couple of good runs for him, that, that, that could be career changing. He, again, he doesn't have anything lined up for next season as of right now. Tyler Reddick, he's battling for his first win. William Byron, he's looking to, to break out and, and show that he's a star in the Cup Series. So, yeah, it's absolutely okay, except for the championship race. I believe that, that the championship race, you know, if, if one of the championship four are, 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 in, are you know, coming behind you, you know, you can race them. But make sure you race them clean because I I don't it's I don't think it's okay to, to you know if there's a if there's a chance you might accidentally wreck or get into one of the championship drivers I don't think you should should try, you know drivers need to kind of kind of back off I guess if you will because it's not you know you don't want to see a, a championship four driver get crashed by somebody not in the playoffs so otherwise though I absolutely agree you know if if it's Tyler Reddick leading the race on on Sunday at at phoenix you know it's tyler reddick leading the race on sunday and if he wins great but you know in terms of racing the the playoff guys hard absolutely race them hard but race them with a lot more caution in in the championship race oh you know i would mostly agree with you nathan about you know respect being observed um but also being competitive uh, among, amongst each other, because you make good points. I mean, Matt DiBenedetto, is, as of airtime, is looking to you know solidify his plans for next year. We don't know what's going to happen to him after the checkered flag flies at Phoenix. And then Tyler Reddick, of course, he's been trying to showcase that he is the top dog at RCR. And you know, when free agent time comes, maybe he's trying to say, "Hey, RCR, keep me around." You know, I know that it's Austin Dillon's team, but I'm also here to get you wins. And then you look at William Byron, he's the Mr. Long-Term plan for Hendrick Motorsports or the Mac Jones, really, of Hendrick. I mean, Elliot, Bowman, and Larson are not old. They're super young, but just like with life, I mean, we all grow up so fast. And William Byron is still going to be a kid compared to the rest of them. I mean, being born in 1997, you know, he's not going to be hitting 30 uh, for quite a while. So I'm sure he's, you know, really 
really focus on getting a win for uh, the folks on the number 24 team. I will say this, though. I mean, I do think, yes, it could be a narrative that's being played up by NBC just because if they didn't say that, we'd all be talking about just Kyle Larson winning all these races. And it's, you know, there's times where I think, and you knew being journalism majors, where I think sometimes you try to dig deep into a story to make it something that we can all pay attention to. It's like not clickbait style, but I almost kind of argue that you kind of have to like not fish for a story, but point out something that could be a truth, but you have to leave it up to the audience's um, perspective. Would you say so? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, I think that in previous years, you know, you always kind of see non-playoff guys racing playoff guys, but I don't think that's always been necessarily talked about as much by NBC, but I feel like really, um, especially over the last few weeks, that that's something that, that they've talked about a lot. And I don't know if it's because, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, because a lot of the playoff drivers have had a lot of problems this year. Like, it feels like, you know, there's been more accidents than, than I anticipated here in these last eight weeks. There's been more, you know, other issues like penalties or, you know, blown motors, than, than, than I anticipate, just overall issues. So I think that that's something that they're trying to, to push to, I guess, fill airtime maybe. But that's never, I don't think that's ever really been something that, that they've talked about before. And there's been guys that ha- have had strong runs. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe ever since Bubba won at, at, at Talladega, because that was the first time, I think, in the playoff era that, if, if I'm right, if I'm correct, I think that was the first time in the playoff era that a non-playoff driver won during the playoffs. Is that right? I would have to double check on that. I, I think it is, but one of the first, at least. Yeah. So I think ever since that point that they kind of try to push that narrative, like, oh, all of a sudden, like, you know, Bubba's running well, Tyler Reddick's running well, William Byron, he's eliminated, but he's still running well. So I guess I think that they are kind of fishing for stories a bit, mm-hmm. but yeah, but that that's my take on it. Now, I also want to point out, too, that I think is interesting because, you know, the, the whole respecting your championship contenders thing, I can't help but think about 1992. So just a brief history lesson for the listeners. Um, in 92, we had pre- a virtually a three-driver championship race, but mathematically, six drivers were in position to win the championship, uh, the season finale in Atlanta. And a lot of the drivers were, you know, that were not in contention, like Dale Earnhardt, Richard Petty, um, they were all just like thinking, all right, we don't want to cause any wrecks with the championship six or championship three, if you will, between Davey Allison, Alan Kowicki, Bill Elliott, Kyle Petty, Mark Martin, and Harry Gant. And I think one driver who really didn't want to mess it up was Jeff Gordon. But if you've watched the 1992 season finale or you've watched that special from 10 years ago on Fox Sports 1, it's interesting how you know, Jeff Gordon had the crash in turn two, and then they left a roll of duct tape on his trunk, and it destroyed Davy Allison's front end. But Allison still had a chance to win the championship until he got wrecked by a non-championship contender. Um, so in a way, I mean, it's not like that you don't respect the drivers that are going for the championship, but I think you just don't want to see a championship decided in such fashion. You rather would see it side by side on the track, um, you don't want to see decided by a pit, you know, pit crew mistake. Cause that, you know, that would stink because, yeah. you know, th- that person's going to feel that for the entire winter. Um, yeah, I don't, so wanna, I, or I don't want to see like a, like a Jeff Gordon, Clint Boyer, Phoenix situation, right? but you know, non-playoff drivers have the right to race hard, but maybe they wouldn't, you know, on a late restart, maybe they wouldn't send it in as deep to try to, you know, and hope it sticks. Maybe they kind of lay back a little bit seeing if there's you know a couple of championship contenders ahead so uh, it, it's kind of a tough line to draw but i think you know non non-playoff drivers if they, if they get to enter in the race which they do they have every right to, to race just as hard because they're racing for points they're racing for incentives from sponsors they're racing for prize money they, they got a ton of race for every time they go to the racetrack so I think that makes NASCAR so unique, really, when you think about it, you know, whether you're a proponent of the playoffs or not, you know, that's one of the most interesting things, you know, again, with professional sports, the ball and stick ones, you know, every postseason is pretty much eliminating 
those who are not in contention. Whereas in NASCAR, we have these 10 races where we start off with 16 drivers going for the championship and then we shrink it to eight and then eventually no, 16 to 12, then to eight, and then you get to four. But you still have the remaining drivers out there who are not in championship contention, who are equally deserving to go for the win, um, to say the least. But then again, you also have the juggernaut teams who are still in the fight, uh, where you have Joe Gibbs Racing's Kyle Busch, Danny Hamlin, and Martin Truex Jr. They're all in a strange position where they're trying to get a spot secured into the championship four. And then you have Team Penske, who still has all three drivers locked in to the champ, you know, the round of eight. But um, it's kind of interesting having Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, and Ryan Blaney below the cut. These are all championship drivers. I would argue that, you know, who's in the bottom four right now would make a championship four in any other year. So, I mean, given the ups and downs that have been going on, Nathan, for Joe Gibbs Racing and Team Penske, you know, I know, again, we're recording this ahead of Martinsville, but on a general basis, which team do you think prevails on the track more times than not? You mean in the on Phoenix at Phoenix or? Yeah, I mean, just in general. I mean, we're not going to even think championship four at this point because it's going to be decided when the show airs. But I mean, on a consistent basis, who have you been more impressed by in terms of how they perform at Phoenix overall? I mean, who's going to impress us? When we talk about Phoenix, well, I mean, I, th- I think Fords. I mean, Fords have been, or sorry, excuse me, Toyotas. Uh, Fords have been, you know, that's something that we've talked a lot about. Uh, talked a lot about this season is, is Ford struggles. They, you know, kind of coming full circle back to the be- to the beginning of their segment. They've kind of been they've struggled on five fifties. They've been better on seven fifties, but not great. When you look at Logano and Keselowski, I mean, Keselowski won Talladega this spring. That's kind of a track deemed to be a bit of a wild card, even though Keselowski is really good there. Logano won the Bristol Dirt Race this year. That's it. And then you look at Ryan Blaney, who has a, a, a mix of wins. He actually has – he does have two 550 wins. But overall, the Toyotas have been better. I mean, Denny's been the most consistent car all season. Kyle Busch has ran top 10 most of the year, even though he doesn't, he's had some kind of unlucky things go on the track. Same as Martin Truex Jr. He's been a top 10 car just about every race. And then there's, there's Willie or um, Christopher Bell who, who got eliminated earlier in the playoffs, but he won a race this year. I mean, all four JGR cars got the victory lane, which I guess you could say the same for, for Penske, but overall Toyota's just, Toyota's just been a lot more consistent. They, you know, they can win at any track. They can win at 550s. They can win at 750s. They can win at road courses. They can win at super speedways. And really, except for Blaney's two wins on the on the 550s, the Fords have really only been competitive on the 750s. That's right on. I mean, the Toyotas have still got it. Um, you know, and it's kind of an interesting point how, you know, we expect so much from the Penske team. Um, and then it is warranted because of their success all across the board in different motorsports series. But it is kind of weird talking about Joey Logano having only one win as of right now, which is that Bristol Dirt race where we had a lot of attrition. And if Kyle Larson had wrecked with Christopher Bell, Logano may not have a win at all, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, those are the two dirt guys, right? Those are the guys that coming into that race, we always thought, you know, there's such good dirt racers. You know, there's probably, it'd probably either be those two or, you know, maybe even throwing someone like Stuart Friesen in the mix to win that race. But, you know, if I remember right, you know, obviously those two cars had trouble and I think Friesen may have had trouble, but don't, I'm not, I'm not certain about that, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't an expected result of that race and we knew it'd be a wildcard race going in because we've, you know, Cup has never ran a dirt before. So the two other wins this year have been, have been wildcard wins in, in my book. I mean, we can argue that Phoenix is a wild card on its own just because it's probably the most unusual short track in all of NASCAR, in my opinion, because it, it, it was already unusual having a front stretch that was straight and then the back straightaway being a dog leg before they reconfigured it in 2011 and made that dog leg banked and got rid of the grass portion, you know, towards the infield. And now we've got the track flipped the other way around where old turn three is now turn one. And that's a really wide section of the racetrack where you can go four, six wide 
I mean, it's crazy. And that's the kind of gambles we might be seeing at Phoenix. And we'll, tough, we'll be talking about that here um, for the last segment of our show. But for now, do we have a treat for you or what? I mean, you're joining me and Nathan on a championship-packed edition of TPF Live. Our first guest is pretty much a remarkable individual who had a great battle between himself, Joseph Newgarden, and Pato Award for this year's IndyCar Championship title. Ultimately, he prevailed, but it wasn't so easy for this young driver to get the championship in IndyCar. And of course, that gentleman is Alex Polo, who is the driver of the number 10 NTT Data uh, Chip Ganassi Racing Entry. He's going to be joining us here very shortly, but Nathan, I'd like to get your thoughts on this year's IndyCar champion. I mean, man, how cool is that? Our second ever episode of the Podium Finish Live. We have the IndyCar champion joining us. I mean, that, that's pretty awesome. And, you know, looking at what Alex accomplished this year, I mean, such an impressive season for him. Only his second year in the NTT IndyCar Series, uh, winning three times, finishing in the, in, in the top five in the last three races to uh, – uh, to finish off his championship run, just an overall very impressive run for him, winning at uh, at Barber Motorsports Park to open up the season with a a, a dominating uh, a dominating victory there, and, and then winning at, at Tech or excuse me, winning at at, at Road America there in uh, a little bit later in the year. So very very good season for him, and he's going to be around in uh, in IndyCar for a very long time, and it would not surprise me if uh, if he has many more championships coming his way. I would not be surprised either because he's super young, very versatile, and as you'll hear in this interview, very, very entertaining to talk to. So with that, folks, let's get to it. Let's hear from the man himself. Alex Polo, you're now in the hot seat. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's another great hot seat interview here on the Podium Finish and the Podium Finish Live as we are being joined today by Alex Polo, this year's NTT IndyCar Series champion. Alex, congratulations on winning this year's championship. It's such a thrill to have you on, and I really can't wait to get started, um, which we'll do right now. So, you know, first of all, what are your thoughts on winning the championship, given that you won it only on your sophomore season in the series, but your first with Chip Ganassi Racing? Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super happy of the year we achieved um, it was a big, big move for me to move uh, to Chip Ganassi Racing for my second year in IndyCar. And I already knew that um, I was going to join a championship winning team. They just won the championship uh, back in 2020 with Scott. And um, I knew I was going to have the the people around me to, to try and fight for, for championships and, and, and for races. So um, it worked out. Uh, we had to learn some new tracks this year. Uh, still had to learn a lot from uh, from the series and, and how the IndyCar uh, championship goes, but uh, we made it work. It was not easy, but it was super fun. Absolutely. It was fun for us journalists to cover as well because, you know, you, you really emerged as a superstar on your own, but you also had a lot of heavy competition on the track, mainly in the form of uh, Pato Award and Joseph Newgarden. So, uh, you know, from your vantage point, how did you keep focused and sharp during the intense 18 race season, especially up against Award and New Garden? Yeah, it was a fun year. I think that nobody expected to have um, this type of competition. I think it was super close. Like you, you didn't know who was gonna win until the checkered flag uh, in every single race of uh, this season. So. I think it was super fun uh, to follow and super fun to fight with uh, these guys. But uh, yeah, I I just took it um, session by session and race by race, uh, trying to maximize opportunities every single session, and and we did it. I didn't really focus on the championship from the beginning, and I think that's the way to go, and that's uh, why it went so well for us, uh, especially at the end of the season. It just seemed like, like you said, you weren't too worried about it. It seemed like you were just having fun. And maybe, like you said, that's a key element towards being so sharp and focused just because, you know, racing has its up and downs. There were lots of pendulum swings for you, especially between Gateway and to the finale at, La at Long Beach. So um, you handled the stresses pretty well, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, you 
you never know. Racing, it's uh, as you said, it goes up and down, and and you don't know year to year, year to year, or race by race how it's gonna go. But there's some 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 times where you just have momentum and everything goes right, and you don't have to worry about anything else. Um, so this year was a year for me. I I just yeah, as you said, I was super happy and just enjoying every single moment. Um, I'm just happy that I'm living my dream racing in IndyCar and racing for Chip Ganassi Racing and all the partners. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I I was super calm, and I guess that knowing that we had everything we needed to to win and to fight for it for the races and, and also that all the preparation we did before every single weekend was um, as much as much as, as we could do. And that was putting me on on a good mental uh, moment, I guess. It showed for show uh, on the racetrack and off the racetrack just because I love how composed you are and just pretty much it was like watching a kid enjoying the holiday season and you knowing that you're not like so disillusioned but rather enjoying the journey which I think a lot of us can try to apply um, when we are in the racing world just because it is such a wondrous industry to be in versus most other fields, to say the least. And you exhibited some of that fun nature with your teammates, you know, uh, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson, Tony Kanaan, and, of course, Jimmy Johnson, who who tried to make you take down a speed bump at the Ganassi campus. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, how was it like to lean on them and get their advice and also know that when they were struggling that they could lean on you? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm really lucky not because of not only because of the opportunity of uh, driving for Chip Ganassi Racing, but also the moment where I am, uh, where I can learn a lot from my teammates. And I think I couldn't have asked for better teammates. Having Scott Dixon there that won six IndyCar championships, I think it's uh, just an an amazing uh, experience for me and opportunity. Also, Jimmy Johnson, seven-time NASCAR Cup champion. That even if he's new to IndyCar, he's he's still a champion. He he thinks as a champion, and and the work ethic and and all the stuff he brings to to all the team and to especially to me, it's just insane. And then we have Tony there, Tony Canaan, uh, and Marcus Ericsson, which uh, we've been able to push uh, a lot during the year and. And yeah, I think it's been a great year, and, and next year it's going to be even a better one, um, just because now we know the strengths uh, from each other, and we can just continue pushing uh, to make the team better. Absolutely. That's the one thing I always get fascinated by is you can win the championship once, but when you have to go and defend it, that's when you really get to see you know, the, the core, the depth, and the dedication of, a, of an athlete and your teammates around that athlete. So... I mean, obviously, Ganassi has proven that they can get it done. And I'm sure even though it's the off-season, your mind is still thinking about racing at some point and how you're preparing already for an already exciting and busy year in which you'll be defending the championship, but you're also doing so on a lot of races that will be over on the, the regular NBC channel. So, you know, knowing that IndyCar is growing so fast and so popularly with fans, how excited are you to be a part of the growth of the sport? Yeah, I think we are, as a series, we are in a really good moment. Um, the series is growing. We're getting uh, really good drivers from overseas and, and also from America. But I think um, the series is allowing lots of drivers from overseas to come here. And we're getting like uh, former F1 drivers, uh, which attract lots of fans and, and and new followers for the sport and and NBC and, and IndyCar are doing an amazing job and giving us more time and and allowing us to reach more people. So I think it's it's really good and I think the sport is just started. Like I think there's uh, the product we have. It's uh, it's one of the best, if not the best, on racing. Um, we we do road courses, street courses, all and and I think uh, we bring a really, really good uh, final product to to the fans. Absolutely. I think it's such a full-body, um, all-star experience just because of the different racetracks. You also have, you know, that one dedicated uh, network partner. 
the great fans. And I think the one thing that makes IndyCar such a unique sport is that it's a series of drivers from around the globe. So, you know, you represent the country of Spain, of course. So what is it like to spark some interest with IndyCar back in Spain where you know F1's probably the, the top racing series at the moment over there? Yeah, obviously being like uh, almost the other side of the world, it's it's hard for for them to follow racing there, uh, the racing in IndyCar there. But um, but I think they did a, a really good job on on trying to um, give to the people the possibility to 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 watch the races, even if it was like at midnight. But uh, people were able to to follow the races, and I think they saw a, a really good growth of viewership uh, during the year, which it was great. And me being part of it, being part of uh, the IndyCar movement in, in Spain, I think it's great. And hopefully we can keep on growing there. Oh, for sure. I do wonder, like, have you ever gotten the chance to meet Carlos Sainz and get to correspond with him here and there? Yeah, I was actually teammate with him in uh, when we were young in go-karting, but uh, yeah, I, I got to meet him and Fernando, and yeah, they're great. That's so awesome, because he seems like such a gentleman like you, so it's really cool to know that, you know, like, a lot of folks look for that, in, uh, I don't want the international flavor, but the uh, seeing motorsports as a representation of our world when we can just look back into IndyCar and know that it's such a thriving series that has that melting pot that makes the world so unique and so fun. So that's one of the things that I love about covering IndyCar, to say the least. Now I'm going to, of course, have to ask you this question, but that's also because of the fact that I love this particular food. I know you get asked a lot about this, so... Just for the record, I love fried chicken. I love chicken wings. Good. But how did, yeah, we should be buddies after this. But how did this tradition of having fried chicken start after your victories? And have you ever asked Ganassi and the people over at Ganassi, hey, you know I love fried chicken. Why can't we get a fried chicken chain to sponsor me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, obviously I did. I think it would be like the best thing of, uh, the best thing for me just because. I could eat, uh, I guess, fried chicken. So um, no, it's been it's been awesome. I've been having a lot of fun. I have to say that it has grown a lot since the beginning. Um, I guess being here in America and the way that people interacted with the fried chicken thing, it's been uh, amazing. So thank you to everybody who's done it. But it started back when I was racing in Japan. Obviously, Japanese food is uh, I love it, but um, it's really different to what we had. Uh, we have here and we had in Spain so um, together with my dad after a win we were like oh let's celebrate how we celebrate and there was a fried chicken uh, place but and fried chicken come on it's winner winner chicken dinner right so it was something that we knew something that it was good and we started uh, there and yeah as I said it's grown a lot since then that's so awesome and I have to say the fried chicken over in Asia is so good um I was going to recommend in the West Coast, I don't know how close it is, there's a place called Jolly Bees, which is a Filipino fried chicken restaurant. So if, okay. you're, in your crew, if you're in your crew looking for something that good, um, it's a little bit home cooked, so you should try that. And of course, if you ever get to do an interview with me in person, maybe I'll bring some of the fried chicken I cook on a weekly basis. So you can tell me how my uh, culinary skills are up to speed with against your uh, preference. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Got a few more questions before I wrap things up for you. Now, uh, oftentimes I ask drivers this question, so I'm curious to get your thoughts. So, you know, obviously you've been with Ganassi for now the year, and you've celebrated wins, you've overcome struggles with them, but what are some of the values or principles that you've gained from racing with Ganassi that you have applied with your life both on and off the racetrack? I think not giving up ever and the work ethic they, they put in as a group, it's it's just amazing. You would think that somebody that won 13 championships, they would have backed off and, and not worked so much for this year. But they started working when I was uh, on my first day with, with the team. They were working um, the week after they won the championship. Like, they just lost it. And I was, like, blown away by the fact that they never stopped working. So I think that's been pushing me a lot personally and professionally. 
and I think it's great and hopefully we can keep on uh, working and, and making the team better. I like that attitude from the team and it's definitely prevalent as to why, you know, they love winners and now you're one of those winners that ship loves that he often says to us press and to fans. So I'm sure you're going to build upon that legacy, not only for the team, but with yourself because uh, you are such a great uh, driver to say the least. Now, what song would you consider to be the definitive Alex Polo theme song that you feel best defines who you are um, as a driver and as a person? Man, so I I listen to, like, really different music from time to time. Like, I can listen to a really motivational song now, and then suddenly I change and I don't listen to it anymore. But, yeah, I change too much, so I don't think there's one that defines me. I think... It depends on the weekend uh, or on the day that I change. But uh, I like to listen a lot uh, to to. There's a band that uh, that is called Two Steps from Hell, and I like to listen to that band. It's not it's not singing. It's just uh, how you say it. It's just the the band itself. Not there's no singer, so there's no no letters. But uh, I think it it allows me to just stay focused and, and and get back on game time. Like an instrumental type of music, nothing with vocals, exactly. but more like the beat. Yeah, I like that kind of music too, to be honest, uh, just because sometimes you don't always, it's like sometimes you don't need someone to tell you the story, you just listen to it and you get, you kind of feel that experience from the song. Exactly, so that's instrumental music, exactly, you got it. Absolutely. That's a good uh, choice for sure. I'll have to check it out after this interview. My last question for you is hopefully something that not even the awesome folks at IndyCar Media have asked you, um, or even my buddy Dave first has asked, but if Hollywood approached you about making a movie about you as a race car driver and your journey in the sport, which actor would you choose? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. So say which actor would you would you choose to be uh, Alex Polo on the big screen? Oh, um, sorry about that. But um, what actor would I choose? Man, I don't really know, but I would like to see Will Smith doing my – I know we – it doesn't really match, but I think I love him the way he, he acts, and I think as a person he's uh, always so happy and always working so much that I would like him to – to, to represent uh, myself, I I would love it. That's actually a really cool choice, and I, and I actually respect that choice just because you don't always have to make it exactly who you are, maybe on the outside, but who you are internally, um, that's a really unique answer, and I like that just because I do agree that he's really a very joyous person just like you, and um, that's what I love about watching you this year and even the last year um, was knowing that you're just this really genuinely happy person. Uh, and I think that's really a great quality to have, not just now, but for the rest of your career. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> well, folks, you heard from the man himself, and that was an impressive drive, an impressive appearance here by Alex Polo to join us on TPF Live. I wanted to thank him and Amy Walshstock of Ganassi Racing for making that opportunity possible for us here on the Podium Finish Live. And you can read his interview coming up here on thepodiumfinish.net uh, for the electronic edition uh, for those of you who want to read along and have a sort of audiobook version of his interview. Well, folks, we're at the last segment of this show. And gosh, this has been a very fast and action-packed edition of TPF Live here on WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz. And also for those of you listening to the podcast on our major streaming platform, I hope you're reading very entertained by this awesome show with Nathan by my side here for this um, second episode. Now, as I said earlier, we're going to be joined by a leading cup driver for this bonus hot seat interview. And that, of course, would be Kyle Larson, the man himself who's won nine races as of airtime. And who knows, when you've listened to this show on Monday morning or Monday afternoon, he might be winning a 10th race. Who knows? But it's such an awesome honor to have the man behind the wheel of number five, HendrickCars.com Chevrolet, who's won nine races as of now, maybe 10. And there's really not much more I can say because Nathan and I have been talking about this remarkable driver and his 
incredible team in the first two episodes. But Nathan, did you have any thoughts you wanted to add in before Larson sits in the hot seat with us? I mean, it, it, what, a, what a great episode to have both Palou and Larson on with us. Um, you know, very timely, of course, with the, the championship run here uh, heating up for Larson. And, uh, of course, he's, he goes into Phoenix as a favorite. But we'll see if he ends up coming out on top. It would be interesting to say this least because, you know, with this dominant uh, season he's been having, some folks have been kind of waiting for that pin to drop, kind of wondering if he's going to fold under pressure. Um, but, you know, Larson's really responded to the bell. Um, he's had the reputation before where he doesn't exactly close out races. But guess what? He's doing that in 2021. He hasn't won a road course race until this year. And he's won three this year, which not even Jeff Gordon could say he's done in a season. He's done it all, but win the championship. So with that, I talked to Larson before all of this winning streak happened. And you'll be intrigued to hear what he has to say just because he's pretty candid and raw about things. But if you know young money, that's how he rolls. So we're going to get in the hot seat again with Kyle Larson here on TPF Live. All right, Kyle. So first of all, thanks again for joining us here on the podium finish. And congratulations on making the playoffs and advancing into the round of 12. Now, you won the regular season championship with five wins and incredible consistency. Ahead of the playoffs, how did you feel about your team's performance and your overall execution during the final four regular season races from Watkins Glen to Daytona? Uh, yeah, I thought we did a really good job and feel like we were in a good place, you know, headed into the playoffs. Um, with a win at uh, Walkins Win and some other good runs, so yeah, and we've we've been you know competing well so far in the first two races of the playoffs. So um, yeah, it's been good, and then look forward to the rest of the year. Now you've had some exciting battles, of course, going into the playoffs with that memorable finish at Darlington, and of course going from last place to six at Richmond. Tell me what your mindset was before during and after those first two races of this playoff round? Uh, I mean, I think just excited to get the playoff started before Darlington and um, had a great car that race and uh, came up just a little bit short of the win, um, you know, but it was good to get off to a good start and gain a lot of points. And, yeah, then Richmond uh, heading to there, you know, earlier this year, that was our by far our worst race that we had, and, um, yeah, so wasn't expecting to do very good there, but our car was much better, and we were able to have a good race and come over with a sixth-place finish, so um, lots of hard work to prepare a faster race car we had early in the year, and, and it, it paid off to get us, you know, locked in through through Bristol. Now, of course, I don't want you to have to give away too much secrets, but uh, during the telecast, it was mentioned that your team kind of borrowed off the setup of Alex Bowman's team, did that play a contributing factor for your team um, having that great run at Richmond and especially that riveting first stage? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's nice you know, having teammates to, to bounce ideas off of. And obviously Alex won the race earlier in the year there. So, you know, we were really bad. So, um yeah, we got to look at his notes and, and apply them to our race car, and we were we were a lot better. So, the yeah, chase was was much better as well. So, um, you know, and it goes vice versa. You know, I think they probably looked at our notes a lot at places. You know, when we go back and um, can you know, put that underneath underneath their car too. So it's it's good. You know, all teams work great together, and um, it's pretty open book there at Hendrick Motorsports. So I think that that lends to having success. I think it attributes as well. Um, with the way that you guys were able to get into the playoffs and get, um, I think, a, over a quarter of the regular season wins as well. So I would imagine that's going to hopefully carry over into the rest of this playoff round. And also, too, you have a bit of an ace in the hole with crew chief Cliff Daniels. Now, I would imagine you get some great feedback and notes to look upon uh, from the regular season with these upcoming races. So how do you and Cliff try to find that balance between you know, what worked in the regular season to the playoff races, especially with the conditions changing and also, yeah, the competition getting better as well. Yeah, I think you, you take all of it in um, and try and you know, just prepare and make your, your best guess on what you think is going to 
be the fastest. So, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't expect to go to a track again and be, you know, as good as you were the last time there. Like, you know, leading into Vegas, you know, we were really good earlier this year. But like you mentioned, you know, the weather could be different. Temperatures could be warmer or cooler and, and things will react differently. So, but, you know, you, we I feel like we have a great notebook to, to look at. And, and um, you know, Cliff and everybody on the five car does an amazing job of preparing. So, um, I think we're all really confident when we head to the racetrack. It definitely shows as well because of these great finishes you've had basically all season long and overcoming a, a tough start at Richmond in the spring and, and really rocking it uh, last uh, Saturday night. Now, kind of talking playoffs in a general perspective, of course, it's been pretty exciting this year in NASCAR with the mix of talents, uh, winning races, and that finish you had with Denny where you basically yeeted it to get to the to try to win the race. Uh, what's your thoughts on potentially bringing over new fans during this season and especially during the playoffs? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's cool. Uh, I guess to, to feel like you're having an impact on the sport positively. So, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, my fan base has grown a lot through the success I've had these last couple of seasons. And, um, it's been fun to, fun to compete for wins, you know, each week. And it's uh, it's definitely fun to watch as well from my perspective, just because um, you can never count you, uh, yourself in the five team out uh, any race weekend. It's definitely a, a pleasure to watch for sure. You've also been tearing it up on the dirt tracks with your wins in the Chili Bowl and Knoxville Nationals. So how does racing in the dirt track scene help you with your NASCAR efforts now and especially once we get into the off season? Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy racing everything that I get to, I think, you know, anytime I get an opportunity to race a car, you know, it, that, to me, it doesn't really matter what type of car it is. I, I feel like you know, anytime I can race, it's just, I'm bettering myself as a race car driver. And you know, it's another opportunity to, to get better at, at what I do for a living. So um, I'm fortunate to race for some really great race teams and um, you have great equipment each, each and every race I run. And, um, you know, that, that helps my ability to learn too. So yeah, it's been good. And, um, just staying active and staying in race shape is, is really important to me. And being young too, because, um, it's admirable how much, how little sleep you got at Indianapolis race weekend and still nearly won the race. Um, if I were to do what you did, I'm pretty sure I would not have done as well. So, uh, it's pretty crazy to think that you could have that quick turnaround and still perform as well. Yeah, I guess when you used to being busy, you just it, it's all it's all kind of whatever. But uh, no, we had a. <laughs> I think it too. The, the main thing is you just as long as you have a good race car, um, that kind of does everything for you. Well, folks, Nathan and I are really glad that you got to join us here on the Podium Finish Live podcast. If you're listening to this on a major streaming platform, it's been a great show. I can't believe episode two is already in the books. As we look ahead for episode three, just like that. I mean, it's just like clockwork. I mean, Nathan, it feels like time is flying by. I mean, this show was literally just kind of just recorded recently for the first episode. And here we are talking about episode three. I mean, what do you think, man? It's crazy. I mean, this has been a lot of fun so far. Uh, By the time you guys hear episode three, we are going to have a champion here in the Cup Series, which which is crazy to believe that this season deemed the best season ever by Fox here in, uh, in, in February. He's already coming to a close, and, you know, come February, we're going to have a, a completely new generation of NASCAR beginning. So, so far, this has been a lot of fun, and I can't wait for uh, a, a lot more episodes. I can't wait for it either. And uh, speaking of those future episodes, we're going to have a lot of great guests um, coming your way, um, not just drivers, but we got other journalists who will be joining us on the Podium Finish Live. Uh, some of them from other outlets, of course, but we're going to try to bring in some of the family members from the podiumfinish.net. So Nathan, you're going to get to talk to these folks here. I don't want to spoil it just yet, but, you know, me and you already knowing those conversations, it's going to be really cool to have some folks here that know the TPF brand real well. Yeah, we're going to have, uh, next show is going to be another great show. We're going to have another, at least one, uh, uh, another great racing guest on. And of course, we'll have, uh, 
uh, hopefully uh, a TP, another TPF analyst to join us. Absolutely. And I know Nathan's been hard at work with trying to get it done and um, just not even with the audio side of things. And of course, being the host I am, I should be saying thank you for the excellent work you do on the show um, and making me look good as a host. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Um, folks, we are going to wrap it up for episode two, just like that. I know it's crazy, but don't worry. We're going to be right back for episode three, um, not too long from now. So if you wanted to follow us on social media, I know that you can find me on Twitter where you can interact with me. I'm pretty responsive. My Twitter handle, of course, is Rob T. Ongson. And of course, if you want to follow my wingman and my great co-host, Nathan Solomon, he's nsolly02. So give us a follow. Tell us what you think of the show. Give us five stars. Be our friend. And most of all, just enjoy these episodes. And we hope to hear your thoughts as we grow this show. So on behalf of WSPU-FM, The Buzz 88.3, and also for on behalf of Nathan Solomon, Kyle Larson, and Alex Polo, I'm your host, Rob Tiongson, here in Austin, Texas, signing out and saying thanks for tuning in. And as I said in episode one, and I'll say it every episode, let's get the checkered flag. Hey.